Some things in life are just better. Peanut butter and jelly. Chips and queso. Mornings and coffee. For the women in the room, Starbucks and Target. Some things in life are just better together. When a basketball team plays together, they win. When teams at work collaborate together, results happen and the company moves forward. When husband and wife communicate together and they're on the same page, the family thrives and their relationship thrives. Some things in life are just better together. When we work as a team, something happens, right? Like we, we get in sync with each other, we're able to kind of have one goal, one purpose, one mission, one plan, one movement, all working towards that. And we begin to see extraordinary, improbable, impossible results occur when people work together. Today, we're beginning a new series titled Together. And over the next four weeks, what we're going to be talking about, and I'm super excited about this, we're going to be talking about who we are as a church the mount, why we exist, what we do. And over the course of this series, I'm gonna be sharing with you where I sense the Lord may be leading us in the coming next few or couple of years. And so if you have been around the mount for any amount of time, you know this, but for those of you that are new, I wanna make sure we all understand this. One thing you need to know about us here at the mount is that we exist, our, our purpose, our mission, we exist to make a difference for one more. It is everything that we are, all of our prayer life, all of our passion, our devotion, our energy, our creative juices, everything we do around this place is centered around and leaning towards the idea that we want to be the people and the church that makes a difference for one more. We want that person who is far from God to come to understand that he loves them and cares for them and sees them and offers grace and mercy and forgiveness. And we want to see their faith built up so that they in turn can go out and find other people because found people find people. We exist to make a difference for one more. Now, I wanna kind of be honest with you right up at the front. Typically as a communicator, you, you hide some things till the end, but I just wanna tell you right at the beginning that I've been praying for all of you for a very long time now. And I'm praying specifically for certain things over the course of this series. If you're new with us today, or maybe you're kind of new-ish to the mount, I'm praying that for you, even as you kind of experience who we are as a church, you, you learn about us, you hear our stories, you see our energy and our passion and the future of where we see going, that even if you don't believe what we believe, even if you don't trust scripture the way we trust it or think Jesus is who we say he is, I'm praying that this would be a place where you would find belonging. Because I, I believe with everything in my heart, you don't have to believe something to belong to something. And I'm praying that you would find community and belonging and value and worth here. If you call the Mount your home, you've been here for a while, I'm praying for you as well. But I'm praying that instead of you finding belonging, I'm praying that God would wreck your life. I'm praying that over the course of this series, God radically does something in your life that when you look back weeks, months, 
years from now at the person you are and how the, the course and trajectory of your life has been altered and changed radically, you would be able to look back to this series and say, because you believed when you leaned in that God did the impossible in and through you, you and your community and your family and the world are not the same because of what happened. Because I believe with everything in me that God does the impossible. In fact, one of the, the verses that we are gonna use that kind of underlines this entire series as we go through it speaks to this. It's found in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. It says this, it says, now all glory to God. Why? Because he is able through his mighty power at work within us. It's, it's in us, it's not just uh, something, it's within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I believe with everything in me that when we, those of us that have professed to follow Jesus, when we lean in, when we, when we are filled with the power of God, when we do bold, courageous things, when we dream and imagine and think the impossible, God through his spirit and his power working in us will literally change the world around us. And so just a question I have for you this morning. What's the impossible in your life that you wanna see God do? What's something that like, if it happened, like you would look back and like, like something that would alter or radically change your life in such a way that if it happened, when you look back at it, you would be like, I don't know how to explain this. The only logical explanation I have is it was only God. What's the unbelievable that you wanna see and experience in your life. It's interesting to think about the fact that God does the impossible. Because the very fact that we are gathered here today across all of our campuses is a testament to God doing the impossible. I don't know if you know this, but the local church should not exist. It never should have gotten started. Not just this church, but every local church on every continent and every city and every state and every principality and every region for all of history should have never existed or got started. Why? Because the local church, if you think about it, if you go back to the beginning of the local church, it was the most unlikely thing to ever, it was like the, 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 the crazy idea that would ever happen. Let me, just, let me just make sure you understand what I mean by this. If you go back to the very beginning, the story, Jesus, this, this, this carpenter who at 30 years old wanders out and just begins preaching and healing people. And crowds follow him and they gather and there's excitement and there's energy and he's pointing people to the kingdom of God and how things are gonna be different and it's gonna be revolutionary and this movement begins to start as his followers gain momentum and follow him and then three years later he dies. <laughs> and for all logical intents and purposes, the movement of Christianity should have ended in that moment. But three days later, he rose from the grave. And he spent the next 40 days wandering around, talking to people, sharing what the kingdom of God might look like in the future. And then at one point, the final words, the instructions he gives to his original followers, his disciples, says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all, like, let's just put, of some nations. Go and make disciples of Israel. 
Go and make disciples of Samaria. Go and maybe go to Egypt. Like, no, no, no. Go and make disciples of all, into the entire known world. Go into every nation that has ever existed and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what theologians or scholars would call the great commission. Not small commission. Because Jesus didn't say, why don't you just go to your neighbors and teach them? Oh, okay, fine. Like, go to Samaria. Oh, like, he, he said, go to everything. Like, it's this huge, massive, great, big mission. Why? Because God didn't want some to know about him. God's desire, his heartbeat, was that all would know him. And it's huge. But here's the irony and the, like, maybe just the funniness I find in this. Jesus says this mission, this big audacious mission to a group of nobodies. He's looking at his original followers. For those of you that maybe are unfamiliar with the story, he's looking at some people who were fishermen. And like the smartest thing a fisherman could do at that time was determine right or left do I throw the net. He, they're not geniuses. He was also talking to a prostitute, a tax collector, and a doctor. Now, we think, oh, a doctor, that's guy, that guy's very like, intelligent. No, I think in that time, a doctor was pretty much like, looks like a cut, put some mud on it. Like, right? they, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have medicine like we have. And so even a doctor in that time, they may have had a little bit of prestige, but people were also afraid of them because a lot of times they ended up killing them. And so Jesus is looking at these 11 ordinary nobodies who have no theological training. They're not Jewish scholars. They're not people who have immense wealth. They're not people who are networked and connected with the right people. No, no, he's looking at them these nobodies from these backwoods areas of Israel, the smallest nation, and they live in the smallest, dirtiest backwoods areas. And he says, your mission is to go and make disciples of every nation in the known world. And then he sends his helper, the Holy Spirit. And immediately, they are filled with boldness. And what you see is immediately one of them by the name of Peter, who Peter was not the, the most consistent guy. He was flaky and shaky. Peter stands up in the middle of the Jewish town, in the middle of Jerusalem, in the center of the town, and he stands up and begins to preach a very, very offensive message. And 3,000 people devote their lives to God. And the local church is born. And from there... Ordinary people begin stepping up, doing bold, courageous things. Miracles are happening. The message is spreading. It's going from place to place. In fact, most scholars would say in a 10-year period, what began with these original 10, 11 people in 10 years was a movement of 20,000 people. And eventually, a guy by the name of Paul who helps him and others take this message all over the known world. And what began, don't miss this, what began with these 11, 12, 13 backwoods people in a dusty Mediterranean village in Galilee and Bethlehem who were being persecuted by every religious leader, eventually because of their bold, courageous, obedient faith, the very emperor of the Roman Empire comes to faith and the history of the world is changed. And then for the next 1,500 years, is story after story 
after story of God's people faithfully shepherding their moment in history, courageously pointing others to him for his glory. And then we get to today. And now it's our turn. We have been past the baton from 2,000 years of believers who have gone before us, that have faithfully shepherded their moment in history, pointing courageously and boldly other people to know the love of Jesus and build up their faith and send them out. We have been past the baton. And the question we have to face is what will we do with our opportunity? What will we do with our moment in time? The way I see it, we have two options. Option one, we take a really deep breath and we just coast, right? Like we look around and let's be honest, the, the Mount's a big church. We have multiple campuses. We've got like, I mean, we got like a giant screen, like, the pastor, he's got two screens. Like, like, who puts two TVs on a stage, right? Like, that's like such a hipster kind of thing to do. He doesn't even use paper. He uses an iPad. We've got like, like, this is great. There's enough people here. We make a big difference in the community. You know what? Like, we've done a lot of hard work. We've done really good things. God has really blessed us. Let's just, let's just take it easy for a little bit. Let's just rest and coast. I, I don't know about you. That doesn't sound very exciting to me. That sounds a lot like defense. And I know like your coach would tell you that you know the, the old adage is that defense wins games. No, 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 no. Defense doesn't score any points. You can't win a game with zero points. I, I, I don't wanna play defense. Defense doesn't move the ball down the field. Defense doesn't point, put points on the scoreboard. Defense doesn't win championships. Personally, I would rather give my life just like those before us for thousands of years who have faithfully passed the baton to us, I would rather give my life faithfully shepherding this moment in time in God's history of his local church that we have been given to point and show other people the glory and the goodness of God for his name, to point people consistently to make a difference for one more so that generation after generation after generation to come after us can continue fulfilling the mission and the purpose. For 2,000 years, the local church has always, and I mean, this is not a preacher exaggeration, always thrived and been at its best when the people of God have boldly shepherded their moment in time to make a difference. Why? because his mission was big, it was great. And a big mission requires a tremendous amount of spiritual boldness. It's the kind of mission that can't be accomplished by small thinking. It's the kind of mission that requires kingdom-minded, big dreaming, bold thinking, risk-taking people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Church, I don't know if you know this, but as your pastor, I would much rather be an overly courageous church than an overly cautious church. 
I would, I would much rather one day, if I have to answer to why this place got shut down and failed, I would much rather have to answer because we got aggressive and we made strategic, intentional, bold, courageous steps to push back the darkness in the world and push forward the kingdom of God than it had to close down because we hunkered down and were safe and comfortable. An overly cautious church is not the church being led by Jesus. The local church has always, always thrived and been at its best when it has been bold. And so over the next couple minutes, what I wanna do is I just wanna share with you some bold steps that I feel that the Lord and God are leading us to as a church in the next coming few years. And so first, if you're taking notes, we wanna, might write this down, we wanna introduce more people to the story of Jesus. We wanna introduce more people to the story of Jesus. Like I said a minute ago, we exist to make a difference for one more. That means our, our heartbeat, our passion, everything we are is about helping other people hear the good news, the grace and the mercy and the story of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say like over the last year, you guys have experienced, those of you that have been here at our Fredericksburg campus, for those of you joining us, just uh, just this past January, we had to go to two services there because the amount of people that were coming and what God was doing there. And today here at our Stafford campus, we have launched our three services because God is continuing to bring more and more people. And I just want you to know, we very easily could just stop right there. But I, as your pastor, am praying with everything in me that when we hit January 1, 2024, our Fredericksburg campus has to go to three services. And when we hit August 1, 2024, one year from now, our Stafford campus, all three services are so full that we've got to figure out a new solution to a problem we never had before. Why? Because I believe that people matter. And you may say, but Adam, like, that's just a lot of people. Yeah. And let me, let me just say this. And I'm going to offend some of you right now, but I, I'm saying this in a lovingly offending way. If you think the mount is too big... Your love for people is too small. Because imagine what would have happened if, if Jesus is hanging out with God and the Holy Spirit, and they're like, I mean, heaven looks pretty good right now. That looks like enough people. Shut it down. Every single one of us would be lost and broken. Church. Every person that walks in our door has the chance to see Jesus for the first time. Every, every person who walks in, they get the opportunity to realize there is more to life than what they've been living. Every teenager that enters our building has the opportunity to say, you know what? Maybe I don't have to end my life today. Every single mom she gets to know she's not alone. What happens here matters. And I desperately, I don't know about you, but I desperately want as many people as God wants to send our way to experience what happens here. We will continue to introduce more and more people to the story of Jesus. And we'll do this through two primary ways. We will invite people to join us. 
And we're going to talk about this next week. So I can't spoil it for you, but it's going to be fun and it's going to be exciting. And we're going to talk about how we are people who are inviters, who don't just invite people to church. We bring them to church as we look at Mark chapter 2. But the second thing is not only are we going to invite people to join us, but we are going to go to them. We are going to go to them. I love, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but like one of my fundamental beliefs is that the local church is like the hope of the world. Like, I don't know if I've said that to you guys before. Like, the local church is the hope of the world. But here's the thing that has to be attached to that. The local church is only the hope of the world when it is mobilized. Like, you have to go. You can't be like, imagine if it was just like, we're the hope of the world. Hey, we're here. Come to us. We're so happy and hopeful. But we're not coming to you. I mean, Jesus said to go and make disciples. The idea behind the mission that God gave is that the church is to be going to where people are and to take the good news, the gospel story, a relationship with Jesus to them. And so church, over the next couple of years, we're gonna lean into this through two primary ways. One, we're gonna be the type of people that serve our communities. We're gonna be willing to go to the least of these the people who are outcast, the people who feel broken and alone and desperate and isolated, the people that no one else ever cares about. And we're gonna go to them and we're gonna love them and we're gonna care for them and we're gonna provide for them and we're gonna wrap our arms around them and we're gonna physically and spiritually meet their needs. And here's the key, they may never come to our church, but you know what? Christianity is not an intellectual thing. It is a heart, hands and feet thing. And so we will go to them with the good news of Jesus and be praying for life transformation. The other way we will go to people is we will continue to launch new campuses. We will continue to launch new campuses. I don't know if you know this about us, but here at the Mount, we are one church in multiple locations. What that means is that we are one church uh, united under our teaching, our vision, our mission, our strategy, our structure, and all the ways we do things, but we are multiple locations and that we have multiple little churches in different contexts and different communities that have their own small groups. They have their own Bible study classes. They do their own missions projects. They do some of their own staff, but we all work together under one unified church. We do this for several reasons. And I'll tell you those reasons next week when you come back, and I can't wait to share those reasons with you, but here's what I want you to hear. We believe with everything in us that launching campuses is one of the primary ways we take and steward God's resources and take the good news of Jesus and the biblical community to new places where it's not before. And currently, if you don't know this, we have four campuses. We have here at the Stafford campus, we have our Fredericksburg campus, we have our Spanish-speaking El Monte campus, and we have our online campus, which reaches anywhere from five to 600 people consistently week in and week out from all over the world. Well, I'm excited to tell you this morning that in August of 2024, one year from now, we are launching our newest campus in the community of Bealton, Virginia. Take a look at this video with me. The community of Bealton is a rapidly growing community that is currently unreached by any church like the Mount. Each and every year, there are more and more young families moving into the area who are searching, not only for a community to belong to, but answers to some of life's deepest questions. And we believe with everything in us that Jesus is the answer. 
This is why we exist, to make a difference for one more. One more person and one more community. I, I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. And maybe you're like, where's Bealton? If you know where Messick's Farm or Muthru is, you know where Bealton is, right? But here, here's what I want you to hear, and we're gonna talk about this in the coming weeks. The community of Bealton is rapidly growing, like rapidly. But if you draw a 25 minute radius around that community, there's anywhere, depending on the statistics, 20 to 30,000 people. But if you see the churches that are in that circle, and you take their attendance, only 500 people are being reached. So either people are attending no church or they're driving 25, 30 minutes to the nearest place to find a church. It is an incredible opportunity for us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a new community. So I'm excited. Over the next couple months, you're gonna hear all about this. You're gonna hear us talk about ways you can get involved, but I wanted to let you know the first thing is, coming up on September 17th, we've got our first vision night. And we're gonna have several of these through the course of the fall. And these are opportunities where we're gonna meet in Bealton and cast vision and bring people along to what we believe God is gonna do in that community and ask them to partner with us. And so I just wanna tell you, if you or someone you know lives in the Bealton area, kind of North Culpeper, Remington, or South Warrington, we would love for you and them to be a part of this first vision night with us. And we would love for you to begin to hear the vision and even bring them along with you. Even if you don't live in the community, bring them with you so that they can experience what the Mount will be as it gets closer. You're gonna hear all about this in the coming months, but just know we are excited about what God is doing in this community and we are praying for it. So the, the second thing we're gonna do in the next couple years is we're gonna strengthen our discipleship culture. We're gonna strengthen our discipleship culture. We're gonna introduce more people to Jesus and strengthen our discipleship culture. We're gonna do this in two main ways, and we're gonna talk about this in a couple weeks, but I want you to know. The first thing is that we are gonna be a culture, we're gonna build a culture of transformation. What I mean by that is we're gonna create the type of place where instead of coming here thinking, I can go to the mountain for a year, two years, four years, five years, all my life, and never be any different, we wanna be the type of place where people come and they expect to be changed and different. Why? Because when you come in contact with the living God, you don't leave the same. And we want people to experience the living God where they leave changed and different. And part of that transformation is gonna occur even if they don't stay here. What do I mean by that? Some of you, you're gonna spend the next 30 years of your life in Northern Virginia. That's awesome. Some of you, you're here for a year, or two, or five, or the next presidential cycle, whatever happens, right? You, you, you know you're not gonna be here forever. And here's what I wanna be a church that does. That in the limited time you are here, we build you up and we equip you and your life is different in such a way, why? Because disciples never stop growing. You don't graduate from the gospel. You grow and you grow and you grow. So even if you live here, leave here, and you go to another church somewhere else, when you step foot in that place and you say, I wanna volunteer, I wanna serve, they look at you and they are blown away by the depth and maturity of your faith because the mount becomes known as a place that not only trains you up, even if you go somewhere else, we send you out to make a kingdom difference wherever you happen to go because it's not about us. It's about God's kingdom all over the world, all over the country, and we will send you out to make a difference. The other thing is we wanna build a culture of multiplication. 
We want to create the type of place where we model what we see in Scripture, where followers of Jesus are constantly looking back, grabbing others, and saying, follow me as I follow him. People who say, you know what? I've been walking with Jesus for three years. You're new. Let me walk with you. I've been walking with Jesus for 10 years. You're only fine. Let me walk with you. A culture where people are multiplying their faith because we believe that disciples make disciples. It is what we are taught to do and it's how we live. So we're going to increase our culture of discipleship. And the third thing is we are going to increase our culture of generosity. Increase our culture of generosity. I've said this before, but I believe that some of the most profound life-changing spiritual practices that you can engage in that will completely alter the trajectory of your life are the two spiritual practices of serving and giving. I think they have tremendous, in fact, I've said this before to you, I've said that there is a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and your level of generosity. And we're gonna talk about that. Why does it matter? Because here's, and you know this, right? Like lean in for a second. We live in a culture right now, and I don't know if it's like just our culture or if it's what social media has done to our brains. We live in a culture, though, where if someone does something generous or nice to us, we immediately put up, what's going on, bro? Right, like, what do you need from me? What's, what's the catch? Like, somebody does something nice, we think they're trying to trap us into like a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme, right? Like, we, we're, we're hesitant, we're skeptical. Listen, I wanna be the type of church that is so unapologetically generous to a world that expects restraint. Why? So that when we serve and sacrifice and give, when they say, what's the catch? And there's no catch. We're just trying to be Jesus. They say, I've never met a Christian like that before. That's attractional. I want a part of that. We want to be a culture of generosity. So here's what I know though, and this is, this is what's amazing to me. The local church, and you're gonna, just go with me here. I'm gonna call it an organization, and I know you're gonna get angry and you're gonna email somebody and say he called the church an organization. That's fine. I'm just gonna call it an organization for a minute. The local church is an organization. I believe with everything in me. It should be the most bold, courageous, organization that has ever existed and currently exists on the face of the earth. Why? Because Jesus was the most, did the most bold and courageous things to reach new people. And Jesus is the head of the local church. You can't have Jesus as the head of your church if you play it safe and comfortable. Just him being here means you're bold big thinking, big dreaming, risk-taking, courageous. But here's what I know. A church can only be bold if its people are bold. A church can only be bold if its people are bold. So just in a few quick minutes, I wanna share with you uh, just three things I see in scripture from two people who in the Acts were incredibly, incredibly bold. And you're gonna see this in Acts chapter four, verse 13. And I want you to read this. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the? Okay, let's try this again. Like the bold letters means you have to participate. (laughs) In case you didn't know. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the? Of Peter and John, for they could see that they were? With no special training in the scriptures, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Now, 
fascinating to me. It says the members of the council, this is the religious leaders of the time. Like the religious leaders were the people who hated Peter and John. They were their enemies. And it says the religious leaders, the people who've been trying to arrest them, throw them in prison, they are amazed at their boldness of Peter and John because they were ordinary men. Right, they're, they're fishermen, they're prostitutes, they're doctors, they're, they're just ordinary, everyday people from these backwoods places like Galilee and Bethlehem. <laughs> Listen, the Greek language, what this is all written in, this phrase, ordinary men, it's one word. It's the word idiotes. It's where we get the word idiots. So in essence, this says, if you were to kind of paraphrase this out, the religious leaders of the time were amazed at the boldness of these idiots. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. Spiritual boldness is for everyone. Spiritual boldness is for everyone. You might be like, but Adam, like I'm not an extrovert. Like I can't, like boldness means I have to be on stage like you are, or like, a, like worship people, or I have to be like out on the street, or I have to just randomly go up to someone and be like, so let me tell you about Jesus. No, no, spiritual boldness is not extroverted. Spiritual boldness is for people who are introverted, for people who are shy and timid and quiet and passive. Let me just explain this. You can be spiritually bold in the way that you pray. Let me just, just test here. If God answered every one of your prayers from the past week, how different would your world be? For most of us, we would have had a safe drive, our food would have tasted good, and our kids would have slept. You wanna be bold? It's for everyone. Pray bold prayers. In fact, Acts chapter four, before we get this, they actually ask God to make them bold and he answered their prayer. Pray for your family and your community and our world to know Jesus differently. You can sacrifice boldly. You can serve boldly. You can give boldly. You can run your business boldly. You can do a lot of things boldly in the name of, you can parent your kids boldly. Spiritual boldness is for everyone, not just the extroverts. Secondly, if you're taking notes, spiritual boldness is attractive. Spiritual boldness is attractive. Let me, like, the idea here is that when normal people are bold, others notice. Let's just go back to our verse, chapter four, verse 13 here, and take a look at this. The members of the council were? When they saw the? They were amazed. These are their enemies. They're trying to arrest them, put them in jail, kill them, whatever. They're like, stop speaking about Jesus. But when they see how bold they are and courageous in their faith, they are amazed at them. Now, what I don't mean, like, I don't want you to be, like, spiritually bold. Like, like when I say it's attractional, this isn't one of the, I'm not saying go, like, when you're at work tomorrow and you go to the break room and you've got your coffee and somebody's next to you, you're like, so... You're going to hell tomorrow. Do you know that? Like, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's not bold. Like, that's like, is it getting warm in here? Not for me. Like, that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, that's not okay. What do I mean when I say spiritual boldness is attractive? If you profess to believe in a God who is sovereign and good and in control, what happens when you have a tragedy? Are you freaking out like everyone else? Are you like, oh my God, I can't believe this happens. And like, oh, this is just so worse. And I gotta fix this problem. And I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. And just, everyone's like, but I thought you believed in a God who was so good. But what, what if when tragedy happens, yeah, you're upset, you're hurt, but you recognize that God is with you in the mountains, 
and the valleys. You act in such a way because of what you believe that the people around you say, hey, like, I, I know there's a really hard time. How did you handle it like that? Because what I believe about God. Huh. I want to know about that God. Boldness is attractive. Question to think about. When was the last time someone was amazed at your boldness? If you can't think of one, I'll just tell you, it's because you're not bold. Third thing, spiritual boldness is a result of pursuing Jesus. Spiritual boldness is a result of pursuing Jesus. Look back at our verse one last time. The members of the council were amazed when they saw their boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. They also recognized them as men who had You want to be bold? Pursue Jesus. You are only as bold as you are close to Jesus. That's the reality. Pursue Jesus. Lean in. Seek him. And what what begins to happen, I don't know why it happens, but what begins to happen is as you understand him more, as his power invades your life more, you begin to hear him stir and Bring things into your life that causes you to take these bold steps of faith, things you never would have done before, but you feel much more confident and in control because you are walking with Jesus. You are only as bold as you are close with Jesus. Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, like 30 years ago, he he said this statement, your beliefs become your behaviors and your behaviors become who you are. If you believe that God is a big Bold God. Do bold things. If you believe that God is a small, weak, inconsistent God, live safe and comfortably. What you believe determines what you do. Do you believe that God is big? Pray bold prayers. Serve boldly. Dream kingdom dreams, speak boldly about your faith, give boldly, and watch the world around you change dramatically. Some of you this year, I'm just gonna say it, you need to be obedient and take a step of faith in being bold. Maybe over the next month or so, you're gonna feel this tug to to join a small group. And you're gonna be like, yeah, I don't wanna eat that yucky casserole and hang out with people in some home. That's just not something I'm excited about. You need to be obedient, take a step of faith and be bold. For some of you, God is going to ask you or call you or you're gonna feel convicted to sacrifice and use your resources to further his kingdom. And you're gonna be like, Adam, like, ah, the budget doesn't work, it doesn't fit, it doesn't make any sense, no. But it's a step of faith, be bold. Some of you, I'm, I'm praying specifically for you. You live near Quantico or you're on Quantico, And there is an untapped group of Marines that live on that base that won't visit any physical Mount campus. And I'm praying that over the next year, you have a stirring in your heart to help us launch what I'm gonna call a microsite. And you have no idea what a microsite is and I'm not gonna explain it to you right now because I know that God's gonna stir in your heart and you're gonna reach out to me through email and say, I'm interested in this, what is that? And then we can have the conversation, but it's a bold, obedient step of faith. For some of you, 
you're going to join our Bealton launch team. And you're going to spend the next year or two years helping us get that campus started by reaching new people in a community and serving them differently than you would here. Maybe God's going to call you to be a full-time missionary, a full-time ministry person. Maybe he's going to challenge you to start a business, join a small group. The list could go on and on and on. But here's what I'm saying to you. Be bold. Take a step of obedience because, and don't miss this, to step towards where God is leading you, you might have to step away from what's comfortable and safe. This morning, in fact, uh, along those lines, I'd love to introduce you to my friend by the name of Dennis, Dennis Lycona. Would you please give him a round of applause? So Dennis, uh, you need to know this about him. Just last week, Dennis started on staff as our new missions and outreach director here at the mountain. So Dennis, we're so excited to have you on staff. I would love if you would, just to let everyone know, would you just tell us about you and your family real quick? Yeah, most definitely, thank you. So as you say, my name is Dennis. Uh, I'm a uh, 20 year Marine Corps veteran. Ra, if you're in here. Um, after that, I transitioned to be a software developer and a senior technical program manager for Microsoft. And that's where I was for the last three years. Uh, I've been part of the Mount family for about 10 years, and uh, my wife, Sophia, and Josh, uh, you've seen on the stage a couple of times before, and my other two boys, Isaiah and Josiah, we're happy to be here. Man, so Dennis, so as we talk about this idea of like taking obedient steps of faith and being bold, you went from the Marine Corps to Microsoft to Missions and Outreach. I'd love to hear the spiritual journey that you've been on over the last couple months. Yeah, most definitely. So to go back a little bit about my story, I was saved back in 2004. And I find myself doing this cycle of sprints where I was trying to change myself for God, do it my way. And I went on a sprint. And as you know, you can't sprint forever. So I would run, get worn out, and go back to the same person I was before. And then I'll hear a message that would prod me to do the same thing, get back on that race, and go out sprinting again, and get hurt, and go back. It never really had any change. And it wasn't until 2018 when here at the Mount we hosted the Noble Men Conference where I experienced real revival. And every message, every verse started chipping away the scales from my eyes and finally saw truth. And one of those verses that stood out to me was Jeremiah 2.13. And there God is talking about the sins that his people have committed. And one of the sins was forsaking God, the spring of living water. And the second was that they were digging their own cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. And I realized, man, I've been forsaking God by choosing to do things my way and getting on his way and not letting him do what only he can do. And on top of that, I was digging my own cisterns of success, wealth, status, family, etc. Things that hold no water. Thinking that it will hold love, joy, peace, and fulfillment, which was not the case. So this time I decided to get back on the race and let God be the pace setter on this marathon. And then I immediately got involved and I started coming here on Wednesday nights for a men's group. And then that wasn't enough. And I decided to pilot a small group at my house and just started with my immediate family. And that grew up to be 35 people, and that wasn't enough. And then I told my family, hey, we got to volunteer. We got to do something else. And we started doing uh, student ministry here on Monday nights, and that wasn't enough. And they said, okay, let's do Sunday mornings. Let's start volunteering Sunday mornings. And that wasn't enough. And then I had all my friends and family praying for me. I said, guys, pray for me because I have no idea what God is calling me to do. And I remember like yesterday when I met one of the candidates for this role for the missions and outreach director. And when I met him and he walked away, my heart sank. And I felt like my soul was saying, that's supposed to be you. And I said, it can be, that's not me. I pushed back multiple times, I said, no, it's not me, it's gotta be someone else, I'm not qualified. 
And after that, every message, every devotional, every verse was challenging me to step in faith to do something bold. And in one of those moments, one of those signs that happened with my family, my oldest son Josh said, Dad, you know who you remind me of? You remind me of Gideon. And Gideon felt disqualified, the lowest of his tribe, and he asked God for multiple signs. So he showed him the signs. How many more signs are you going to wait for before you make a decision? And he wrecked me. This is the coolest part. If you were here last Sunday, what was the message on? Gideon. Last Sunday was my first day on the job. I was sitting just where you were. I was wrecked. God is moving, guys. God is alive. He's real. He's inviting us to be part of his kingdom if we're just willing to let go of the broken cisterns that hold no water, that have no life, and do something bold for him. Faith is taking a bold step unto the unknown with zero control and letting God do only what he can do. Yeah, man, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. In order to be bold, you might have to leave what's comfortable and safe. Church. A church is only bold if its people are bold. I'm begging you. Pray bold prayers. Serve boldly. Sacrifice boldly. Give boldly. Love people boldly. Share your faith boldly. This is our moment in history to continue the mission that God has given us. Will you partner with us in being bold together? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for you, for the way you love us, for the way through your spirit you empower us to do big, bold, audacious, courageous things. God, I pray that we would be the type of people who are bold for you. As we continue praying in this moment, maybe you're here today and you thought, man, I'm just, I'm just attending church today. It's by accident I'm here. A friend invited me, whatever it happens to be. I just want you to know that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the boldest, most courageous, bravest thing you can do is surrender your life to him. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son to die for you. His life in exchange for yours so that you could have a purpose and meaning and significance beyond anything you could ever imagine or dream like Ephesians 3 talks about. God has something planned for you, but it starts with you surrendering and believing that you need a savior. So just in the stillness of this moment, at all of our campuses and those of you joining us online, if you wanna make that decision to follow Jesus, would you just be bold and slip up your hand? If you raised your hand, I want you to pray with me real quick. Father, I am a sinner and I need your love. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Be my Lord. Today I turn, I repent, and I run to you for salvation. Amen. Church, we're going to continue with worship today, but we're going to do it a little differently. Instead of standing, I'm going to ask that you stay seated and just listen to the lyrics of the song and reflect on the words.